Greetings, ladies and mentalgents, and welcome to the latest chapter of Ars Magica, taken from the subreddit HFY. All the relevant links are down below, and please like, comment, and subscribe like any good minion of the algorithm would do. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 59 System Interlude by Naron Dictated by Naron for GND FK BNG LV DJD FBD HDD Symphonic Resonance It's a principle of nature that every god has an understanding of. This can be simplified to the following two statements. All things require a modicum of resonance to exist. Without resonance, things stagnate, but there are still things there, no matter the frequency in which they vibrate. However, that law is being put into question, and dangerously so. There are things out there being made with no resonance. Or a better way to put it would be that there aren't resonating in the same way as everything else. They are being made reductive, destructive, so that these resonance will cancel. That the things themselves cancel. There are, of course, agents moving in the world to take care of them, either from the divine who have sensed the disturbance of souls or more mortal means of fishermen and whalers. However, it'll not be enough. This is something that the world has never experienced before, that I haven't recorded before. Albeit, there are times when the god of history and tellings has no idea on the matters of the past. Keep in mind that I've only been alive as long as the concept of recording history has. That means that if there existed an occurrence like this before any sentience were on an ordo, I would not have been there to write it down, let alone hear it. The only way for my book to go back that far is if my writings were to delve into the primal gods' memories, and being that there's only a dozen of them left, with none of them more aware as to what is going on than any other, I can only assume that they have no idea of what is actually coming. Sure, they can feel the same way that someone can tell when their air turns muggy in the summertime, but they're acting like it's their first summertime. They have no idea of the temperatures they are going to be involved or the things that will die because of it. They just think that it might rain soon. The only reason that I even know is because of the connection that uh, I have with the world is at a far grander scale than most. I know all of this is happening at any present moment because I can see it. I know where it is. Not the monster, but the master. And I can't stop him. No one up here can stop him. Currently, there are several events that are colliding together. The disappearance of a military ship, the most recent of its foretelling. The awakening of an ancient practitioner. The kidnapping of a noble. The vengeance of a madman. The appearance of an anomaly. And finally, the murder of an inventor. The last one holds especially true for you and yours. It has kept you awake at night, tossing and turning so much that it haunts your very soul. It has led you on a trail winding throughout the city, grabbing every crook and kingpin by the collar. Now, the trail has died. Your leads have died, all to find who produced such a worrying piece of arcane power. 
that which granted you an arm made of magic and metal, of texture so fine as to feel the same. But your soul knows the difference, even if your brain does not. Time and tide have a habit of making monsters out of men, and you and I have seen your fair share. Your first day, I was there. I saw the beatings and the crimes and the corruption. I saw the murders and the liars and the thieves. I saw you picking up the pieces. I saw you fixing what you could. I saw you removed and brought back to the light of the guardians, those just a cause. And I see you now at the precipice, questioning yourself and what you must do, questioning yourself and how you're supposed to go on. I will help you. I will heal you. I will let your will carry on, and I will provide you the strength needed to do so. You, however, must become my agent. You, however, must heed my warnings. Tell no one of what you've heard this night. Panic in the streets will only invite calamity. Panic in your hearts will only seek to invite violence. All of the events I've spoken of are coming towards you, meeting together in that one mountainous city, some quicker than others. I need you to gather them. I need you to bind them. I need you to tell them what is coming, because only they can stop the unmooring that is occurring. Now all you have to do is wake up. Marshall had woken up screaming from the pain that occurred in the night, scrambling to sit in his bed, eyes alert towards the darkness. When nothing happened for some time, he began to breathe in deeply, trying to focus on the present moment. It always seemed to help him whenever he had nightmares. Normally, this helped immensely, as it reminded him about how the past had passed. This time, it didn't seem to work. He couldn't quite remember exactly what happened, yet he thought, perhaps, that he'd received a contract which was strange considering he didn't recall ever trying to take up the job, either drunk or asleep. Quickly, he tried accessing his stats, only to find the newspaper heading had changed. MIGW initialized. Hello, Detective. Sorry about the brazen wake-up call. It took a lot of this to happen, so you better appreciate it. As it happens, the person you're looking for is currently taking up residency within the dungeon south of town. Yes, there is one there, and it's the reason behind the market collapse. It's a relative newborn, so it should only have three to four floors to it. His experiments involving something in that dungeon creates, so expect more of the machinations within it. Even if they aren't controlled by him, you can take the other people with you, if you like. However, I would proceed with caution. They have learned from their mistakes, and they likely won't allow anyone to leave alive. Once you're finished, the rest of the portent will come, and your end of the bargain will commence. Good luck. Yep, he thought to himself. That's important. He openly sighed as he folded his status. Everything besides the headline had remained the same, so he'd expected to fix itself up once the class or racial level were to happen. He hated portents as a concept. Sure, he never really had one before, nor did he ever expect to get one. But when you deal with the law so often, even if you're not a part of the VOG or the Justicars, it was almost inevitable. His hands clawed over his tail, trying to smooth out the crinkled red fur. His heckles 
always did leave a mess whenever they activated of their own free will. Portents were a bit like miracles to his understanding. The gods help you with whatever problem that you're facing at a given moment, and then they can hold you to do one thing for them whenever. It was a vastly more stringent contract, as it made agreements with something in mind could not remember doing, nor the body. He never really trusted what his senses could not tell him, and since his soul had nothing, he couldn't trust it either. It was the more emotional out of his being, so any decision it would make was not based on trust or logic, just sheer want. However, this felt like a step in the right direction. Nobody in the victorious order of governance had gotten important in decades. And here he was, a two-bit street beat. Basically, nobody important whatsoever to the higher-ups, and the higher-ups. His face slowly lost its skull as he stood up from his bed. In a jumble of energy that hadn't ended him in weeks, he managed to fold his bed back into a wall and reorganize his desk. Well, not entirely, anyway. There were still some trash piles here and there, but he had gotten to the important stuff, like his stun wand and status badges. He managed to adorn himself in some trousers, withholding the shirt for the time being. It was four in the morning. Of course, who would care? He got his hat off the coat rack to the side of the door and left his office. He sighed as he looked back at the door. He should have taken the stint as the justicare. It would have been better than prelots. He faced away and started going down the hall. He passed by other offices, most closed down or simply infested with the neighbors before sliding down the stairway railing all the way to the bottom floor. It was the only really good thing about living in an office, as most officers knew that people wanted to leave as fast as possible when their work was done. So instead of a boxed-in staircase like those out in the old city, this one had a round one with a metallic shine to it. The only unfortunate part about it was the little lip at the end had worn away, which reminded Marshall all too late as he plopped onto the hard stone flooring. He grumbled as he brought himself back up to a standing position, cracked his back and went towards the building's main commingle. He brought it up to his ear, hearing the telltale buzzer static before reaching deep into himself and pushing the manor through towards the target he sought. A ring was heard. Then a click. Uh, hello, went the groggy response. Growl! M Marshall? Yeah, it's me. Listen, uh, I, I know. Uh, sorry it's been avoiding you. Uh, look, I know that you're tired of me snooping around, but I've got something. A lead! Marshall still felt bad about leaving Growl out of his investigation. Before going into a dungeon, a just to care would do in place of a standard adventurer. You're calling me at five in the morning... On a goddamn clan day. The busiest day I have to deal with because you have a lead. Yeah. Important. Uh-huh. The gruff, dismissive response almost seemed to incentivize Marshall towards the path he was going to take. Yeah, no crap. All right, meet me at the city gates in 15. We're heading south. All right, guess, uh, beats dealing with teenagers. With that, Marshall put it back on the ledge, barely missing the indentations. He thought about calling someone else, but put that thought aside. A dungeon ain't no place for a dame. With that, he went on his way, hat nearly billowing out into the wind as he opened the doors towards the night air. End of chapter. 
Chapter 60 Systems Interlude by Naron Excerpts from Chronomancy and You by Calamborn there Chronomancy is one of the hardest fields of magic to study and application one can apply oneself towards. Many often try to focus on the more physical pursuits, like the natural elements of earth, air, flame, water, metal, and other more natural occurring affinities. But this study and its application belongs to the more ephemeral, as the manner therein cannot be naturally created simply by shifting to the spectrum of the chroma inherent in all manner. To put it in a simpler way, and to better explain how hard that this application of magic can actually be, it has been stated that if it weren't for the apparent ease that one could delve into souls, being that all living things have one, then this would only rank as the second hardest of all studies. Let that sink in for a minute. Only animomancy can compare against the difficulty of chronomancy. So, with that in mind, you can see why the author finds it incredibly hysterical that one such as you would try without knowing the basics. Then again, that is why you bought this empirical listing of all the spells, effects, and history behind it all. However, before I get into the howls of chronomancy, I must first divert myself to the what's. In other words, what does chronomancy control? If you couldn't tell from the word itself, it deals with the manipulation of time. However, that is the most generic explanation that I can provide. You see, chronomancy can only really delve into three aspects of time. Four, if you want to get into the theoretical. First, is objectional time. Basically, it's a form of chronomancy which focuses on controlling the time of a single object. This can make things deteriorate to dust in a couple of seconds, while letting things return to the prime of their lives in a couple of hours. From the brief effects that I listed, you can see that turning back time is immensely harder than springing it forward. That is why I advise to those who delve into this to be careful with your targets. It would not turn out well for you, were they to accidentally age a child to old age. Many have lost their lives trying to perfectly perform this art, even the casters themselves, if they mess up the arrangement of time manner. So, without further ado, let's dive into the specifics behind the spells listed within this. Now that I've delved into the first aspect of chronomancy, and the types of effects, spells, and even enchantments that can be performed, we must now delve into the second aspect of time. The one is most common to perform, that being environmental time. Now, environmental time is basically how a chronomancer affects the area around them. This is able to affect multiple objects, as well as the cast themselves. This is why it is advised to try and master the first aspect before the second. If you are unable to keep yourself unaffected from the spells you try to master, things would not end up well for you. With that warning, I... In addition to all of that, it must be known that our environmental and objectional time, while having similar spells and enchantments, do have a different cost towards their outputs. That being, with the environmental being degrees of magnitude higher than anything the objectionable alone could accomplish. There is also the fact that unlike objectionable time, environmental can exclude certain objects from its field, if one is ever accomplished enough. However, 
even with those two aspects of time discussed, and with all the problems that lie within them, there is a third aspect of time which is by far easiest for them all, with barely little dangers if other chronomancers are around to reverse the effects. This aspect, officially known as perceptional time. Perceptional time does not deal with the realm of physical transformations, but simply controls the speed at which the mind can comprehend its surroundings. Without perceptional time, any speed with which you hope to gain from objectional time frames will go for naught, as you would not comprehend the time to which your speed yourself upset, or slow down too. This is perhaps one of the more involved process, as you have to affect the container for your mana in the first place to even gain the... Uh, the spells and tricks with perceptional time, as I've stated, are not hazardous to your surroundings, but often to yourself. I will not overstate the importance of slowing yourself down to such that you cannot cast anything to free yourself from. In your new point of view, or hasty demise, or speeding yourself up so fast that you will go mad with the silence that you will hear, and the sensations that which have slowed to appear within your purview. However, there is one more aspect of time and chronomancy which I have yet to cover, and has, but on all but one case, never existed within mortal hands. Time travel. Many wish to know if it is possible for those of mortal kind to appear far in the past and learn from those civilizations long ago, or even head to the future and finally see if seers have their predictions broken and torn asunder. However, this is a matter that has plagued the Chronomancer community for generations, at least until, because of this event, which won't even allow itself to be named, there is only one living Chronomancer left alive, and there will only ever be one. Because of this, I warn you against pursuing this path. You might be wondering why the gods would limit the class like this. However, the issue does not lie with the gods, but the lone answer himself. For he caused the decline of chronomancy on purpose for reasons that no one knows to this day. All that we know is that whenever someone tries to use time mana for any spells, he appears to cut them down. The only fact that we know about the event, besides his apparent survival and reappearance throughout the ages, is that within that one day, more time manor was concentrated within the now-defunct Chronomages College than any other point in history. Many have speculated about this, but judging from how this Chronomancer appears whenever time manor is used or conjured, looking the exact same way in age, Whatever spell that was cast that day is how he's been able to live for so long beyond the realms of the objectional time spells and will allow and finally achieve Chronomancer's final goal, time travel. So in short, there is a lot of spells which affect time in different ways. They each require specific knowledge and special mana types to be of any use. Also, each one carries their own separate danger of casting wrong. So tread lightly on the path to Chronomancy. There is also the fact that the lone chronomancer is still out there for any open practitioners of the art. In other words, even though I hold the knowledge of spells and skills of old, even I dare not cast for fear of being unmade by the watchful eye of the last chronomancer. Now that we've covered what kinds of spells can be accomplished with chronomancy and why there are so few chronomancers within the present day, we can now segue into the very beginning of the study. Now, its historic beginnings can be tracked back to before the system was ever 
Stellan stood alone within the cave, peeking directly over his table of instruments, lightly pulling his wings to drap around him. It was always cold, but in this particular floor, he decided to put his work on, and had always seemed to chill his bones, even through some of his fur. He asked the dungeon before, but all that he could gather from the nonsensical gibberish he was trying to convey, it was not meant to be an ice dungeon when it was born. He could only conclude that it was more his own fault for expecting such a young one to understand that he just wanted a singular room on one floor at a decent temperature. He sighed a little, the air seemingly fogging up in front of him upon the glass that he had managed to conjure. Well, he thought to himself, not exactly conjure, but concentrated, I suppose. He brought his face back down towards his tools, carefully selecting the longest and quite possibly sharpest out of all of them. It reached to about half of its wingtips before curving in on itself slightly, giving it more of an elegant knife feeling rather than the scarvel that it was supposed to be. He shook his head quickly. Best not have thoughts like that. Can't exactly afford the best tools nowadays. And with the most practiced ease that he had managed over the last ten months, he carved a chunk out of the table. He marveled once again at the rapid regeneration of the table itself, for metal seemed to fill the gaps almost as quickly as he carved it out. Each time he had done so, it was never a tiring experience. He let his tool fall back down to the table as he chuckled, gesturing towards the air. Well, I suppose with that, we can begin prototyping, yes? His question, although seemingly posed to no one within the room, did exhibit a response as the entirety of it seemed to shift and shimmer before reforming back to the stark metal panels that it once was. He grabbed the mess and walked towards something which had been swaying in the corner of the room, far away from the table or the open metal prison door leading towards the dungeon proper. He slammed the spinal piece onto the hunk of amorphous metal, shaping it with his hands. Now that it had been exhumed from the table, its inherent properties came to be, and the mass sitting upon the wooden stack finally stopped swaying to an invisible wind. The metal deformed within its hand, slightly, although they still seemed to stick together due to the inherent magnetism that was abound through the entire dungeon. He made the arms, legs, heads, and finally finished with the final one, the chest cavity. This was the most important in his mind. As without the cavity, the manor core that he had planned to input would be open towards any elements or natural manor fluctuations that could occur within one's lifespan. Careful, he reached below his table, towards a crate of empty cores. Careful, not to crack any of them or spill them onto the floor. While he did trust his dungeon companion, he did not think that it would be able to hold itself back from the material that it itself could not create. Besides... Just the one would do for now. It needs to be able to handle about 15,000 MP before I introduce the rest of the calls. That's the bare minimum for one of the spells to activate. He surmised within his head. He inserted the empty one into the orifice, carefully trying not to push any spare metal in such a way as to collapse the entire project. It would be a catastrophic for it to fall off of its wooden stand back into the dungeon proper. No matter how many times he kept telling it, just because it kept touching does not mean it was ready. So, with the finesse that he had only once per day, he tried to perform his experiment 
once more. Carefully, he twisted Manor out of his own mind, crashing it against the other strands, trying to find the specific one. The specific chroma before it was gone without a trace. He grasped at the nearly invisible piece of Manor and pushed it towards the core in front of him. At first, he wasn't sure he was able to take. There was, however, almost an uncertainty for these kinds of things, as his mind permanently operated on a different time frame than most others. And, after waiting for about five seconds, while to him it was five minutes, it finally kicked in. The call suffused itself with the manor and touched the inert manor inside of it, inciting more of the same to confluence and propagate. Within about a couple minutes, the core had achieved a full storage limit, and, after checking over it for any leaks, Stellan let out a quick whoop in delight. I think it's ready. Get in it, my friend. Without any further delay, he picked up the metal mannequin and placed it firmly on the ground. Within seconds, the metallic room jiggled and spiked randomly, seemingly too excited to stay put. Before it all simply stilled, to dead quiet. And then, the mannequin's eyes shone. It is to be working, Stellan. The metalhead had no mouth, but it did have a singular hole where spoken words seemed to be coming from. Yes, the verbal components are doing exceptional work. Now we no longer have to simply speak through your own core, my friend. Stellan patted his wondrous creation, happy that it served such a fine vessel. Yes, this manner is uh, quite strange to my own. At that, the golem's hands seemed to move, albeit at slightly different paces. One almost seemed to move in perfect slowness, while the other performed such an intricate movement as to produce after-images within the air. Yes, yes, it's far more complex than simple metallic. I would not doubt that it would aid you in your further brain capacity and processing, uh, or whichever equivalent that is for you. No, really, a dungeon core expert after all. He jungled a bit before hopping onto the table and letting his legs dangle off the edge. His wings were a bit tired, after all. And yet you still formed a bond with me, even when I attacked you first. The memory was still stuck within Stellan's head. It was, perhaps, almost hysterical thing to think back on. Imagine he's surprised trying to find materials within Black Market when he falls down a crevice into a dungeon which seemed to be eating the rock around it. Or at least, that was what the entrance looked like. He never really understood how dungeons were able to grow larger than the space surrounding them and their entrances. But it wasn't something he put real thought into at the time. Just a wee detail for how its gate formed, he supposed. I figured with what you are, I had to take the chance. This was the first lie that he'd told the dungeon. He didn't have any better options. If he stuck around the market for long enough, Others would have notified the night guard about his thieving tendencies and summarily killed him to maintain their image within the underground. However, as time grew and his explorations into the mechanics surrounding his newfound and new-made friend became deeper and far more interesting, this was perhaps the best truth for why he stayed. A metal dungeon, he chuckled a bit, shaking his head before gesturing towards him. No... A golem one. His eyes seemed to sparkle at that, while the same aquatone of the golem's eyes remained the same. Don't all dungeons have golems? Stellan's head tilted to the side, while nodding. 
He supposed he would have to give this young lad some instructions on the basics of dungeons, even if he only ever read one book about them, when he had thought of an adventurer was the right kind of career choice. Some do, others have monsters, beasts, even some by it call them home. But you're different. How so? Stellan pitied the poor lad. Or was it a lady? He never did ask if they had a gender or not, but it was probably safe to assume that they did not have one. Well, uh, to put it bluntly, your whole thing is Gollum. All that is around you as part of you is made completely of golems. Metal Gollum, made up of golems, tilted its head slightly before making a blink occur where its eyes would have been. And, uh, that's good? Well, uh, it wouldn't have let you take over this project of mine if you didn't have an affinity for them. It nodded in comprehension as it seemed to mull over the topic. Affinity? Wait, I know that one. That's just what things I can make. Well, uh, that's kind of correct. It may be what you can make, but it also represents what you are. While others might have an earth affinity or something, that doesn't mean that they can't change that or put other things into themselves. That's kind of the beauty of your Hypatia status. The dungeon, Gullum, tilted its head, wondering why that one word felt so familiar to it, far beyond the normal familiarity of the words that were imprinted within the core. Then, it realized perhaps what it was wasn't at all that good. He only did manage to manifest the smallest kind of Gollum after all. Should I change? No. No, probably a bad idea. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to talk like this. Stellan's interruption came with a bizarre unfolding of his wings as they were waved about manically, almost lifting him straight off the table he sat upon. The point, however, had gotten through to the dungeon golem. Fair point. So, uh, now what? The question almost seemed to put off the bat, as his excitement was toned down towards a brief blip of confusion. What do you mean? Well, I know that you didn't make just make my bodies to make it easier to converse, even now, my thoughts kind of just speed off learning a bit about myself and you. Realization crept through Stellan. He'd never told the Buried Legion his entire plan. He didn't exactly know that they would react to it. Plus, he knew that they didn't react that well when he had told them, though the usual thing that dungeons did to grow. Uh, there's a person, uh, each chronomancer meets them at least once in their lives. More than that, if they're lucky the first time. I have not met him yet, and I plan to meet him before he ever has the idea to meet me. Chronomancer? Stellan was kind of angry at himself, as well as his partner's past incomprehension. He tried explaining several times what classes were and what he was aspiring to be. He may have had a brief stint as an artificer, but that was only after the incident from which he will no longer think of. To think of it is to equate it to death, destruction, and hopelessness. Basically, it was a magic user that uses the type of mana I put into you. He didn't exactly know whether the wizard was part of the lexicon he was able to input into the core before filling it with mana. But it was best to be safe rather than stuck with an understanding chunk of metal again. Oh, uh, what about this person? He's a cutthroat, merciless to all else who could have a class as mine. Whenever any of us perform any of the trademark spells or produce the mana at high enough rate, he comes to kill us. And with that one sentence, Stellan brought back the conversation he began a long time ago, back when he had first tried teaching the newborn, because that was what it was and what he tried to teach it. Kills? Is that the thing you tried to explain about permanent nothingness? 
When Stellan had brought up what it would have to do to grow, they were always scared of it. Scared of it happening to others because of one bleak second it had managed to remember it. Yes, sir. Basically, whenever someone is killed, they basically end. Nothing else in life for them. Ah, do you want me to kill it? That was the question. That was the main thing bouncing around in Stellan's head for his entirety of his hopes and his revenge. That's the idea. We have a generic time and place for it, and since you haven't decomporealized yet, we can safely assume they cannot tell when a construct is using it in the amounts that the project has generated. Thus, you can build up enough chromic mana, travel through time, and end him, thus allowing future chromomancers to exist in relative peace. At first, the word didn't seem to register within the dungeon. Then it realized what it actually meant. However, even with the word, it didn't fear it. They would still be around since their main core did not contain an iota of foreign mana. However, Stellan's plan seemed too clear-cut to him. There's something else, isn't there? What? The self-congratulatory look almost disappeared entirely. It can't just be goodwill that you are doing this for. Otherwise, you would not have killed those people up top. Stellan thought back on the incident. He had been selling materials from his friend, trying to get better equipment through the sources he could find while donning a different face. All anyone really needed as a dwem was some mud on their fur, and people believed that you were an entirely different person. He had laughed for around an hour after the incident, but as all things in the world, it slowly and gradually got worse. Many bide began to suspect him, wondering where this mercantile came from, and while stealing was frowned upon, following until you were out of the market was not. He hadn't really meant to blow it all up. It was just the nerves, the adrenaline coursing through him, the wire of a good thing finally coming his way, getting taken away. Taken away. He realized what he had done was wrong. Even now, still in the depths of the dungeon, he was getting racial experience for all the lives that were dying from the fallout. He had only managed to escape it by entering the dungeon at the same time as he armed his device. Thinking back on it, he wished that he could have done things somewhat differently. But, as with all things, the past cannot be changed. Not yet, anyway. And besides, getting rid of the people that were on him was for the best, in his opinion. Less time for them to realize how much illegality is going on here. Plus, a bit of time to teach the buried legion all the intricacies of the manor that he had access to now. I'm sorry for that. I sincerely am for what I had to do. However, they were basically on to me because of one of my creations used with your materials. Plus... Some of the night guild was getting closer to discovering you. If I hadn't thrown that bomb through the entrance, then the wider world would find you. I doubt I would ever have this chance to, uh, fix myself. He thought about it, quite briefly. However, his efforts to forget it was put to shame as the dungeon mentioned it out loud to his ears. The brain thing? An almost irrational anger upon the bipedal bat as it started shaking before letting out a warbling screech. Yes! The brain thing. Immediately, he had realized his error with how he acted. Dungeons, in a word, couldn't feel emotions unless they were taught them first. In a way, it was different from the most Hypatia in that emerged. That says a lot about thousands that exist and utterly decimate anything at all visitors or invaders. Sure, in the beginning they operate without them, 
just working off of deep-rooted instincts. But anything more complicated than that, they absorb from their surroundings like plants and children. If he taught the dungeon anger before fear or happiness, then it would only be able to become a monstrous being. Sorry, um, I'm, uh, just stressed, uh, I've done and proven that I can do the easy part. Now I don't know whether the hard part can happen or not. His honest reply, as he fidgeted with himself, trying to get rid of the shakes that still plagued him, almost surprised himself. Why should you be worried? Aren't I just going to do this? It almost surprised Dylan how impassionate he sounded, detached from it all. Why would you think that I would leave you alone? He looked towards the golem, trying to find any hint of emotion from it, albeit at a huge disadvantage. He never really configured the core with any emotional tells, considering that he was making it for the dungeon to inhabit. You've helped me grow, both in strength and knowledge. You've helped me see the bigger pictures. Then all I was sad about was that all I could summon and control were drops of mantle. Now that you've given me a body, and I can free myself from the prison that is my creation, this is the least that I can do. His opinion of the dungeon changed within that moment, going from something simply viewing from an outside perspective. Now he truly felt like it was something that had his back in the matters of the future. You've made a bat. Very happy today, but uh, no. I'm coming with. Once we're at the time and place, the manor in the air would be so thick, I would essentially be disguised from his presence, unless we were to meet each other in person. His explanation almost seemed to catch the golem off guard, before it nodded its head towards him. All right, then. His affirmation seemed to get the topic of the conversation to drop, as Stellan was trying to figure out how to begin teaching the construct and how to use the newfound energy. A sudden shifting occurred. It wasn't a shifting of the material making up the walls or the floor like he'd grown accustomed to. No. This is something which warped the space around him enough to visibly get rid of the magic lights that he'd set up inside the room. This shaking also had the unfortunate act of making him fall tilt the table, hitting his head on the floor. He groaned while the room still shook, at least until he felt the shaking had stopped. Whether it was an aftershock of it all that left him, or the actual one, though, he couldn't say. What was that? His question towards the darkness was met with a distinct sound of silence, until the voice that came from the same level as he did sounded out, What do you mean? He groaned again, aching, while sending out another of his magic lights to find that the golem, much like him, had fallen over. Unlike him, it made no effort to move from its spot on the floor. You're horrible at lying. You've just gotten a voice and you're trying to trick me. Now what was that? The dungeon wasn't exactly horrible at lying, but it did not pain to let it know that he knew about its tells. It would, at least, the buried legion practice more honesty around him. I... I don't want to explain it. It was honesty of a sort. However, it wasn't the kind that Stellan hoped for. So he started writing himself, groaning as he stretched his back. Then he got up onto his feet, looked towards the golem on the floor, and sighed as he traveled towards the now fallen over door. Ah, well then I guess uh, I'll just go to the core room and find out my... Okay, okay, I'll tell you. Uh, the added manner might have made me grow a bit more. He wondered exactly why it had taken this long for the more complex manner to have any effect on its host. But he probably surmised that experimentation was what early dungeons always did. So, in short... 
It was probably his fault anyway. How much more? Uh, Fifteen floors? The uncertainty of the voice came through almost immediately to him, which was great, but it also didn't really bode well for why it was present within the golem's voice in the first place. And that's a problem because... I grew it in the outside world too, uh, and another entrance formed because of it. The beginnings of stress were once again eating at Stellan's mind. Thoughts and danger and thoughts of fear began invading his body. But he pushed it aside. He was around a dungeon, after all. Is it at least hidden? He was somewhat thankful that the buried legion was able to view at least ten meters around his entrance. It didn't do well in the accident of the market, but at least it was useful now. No, it's basically just a crater in the road and... Uh, the golem became silent, almost too silent as his thoughts seemed to disconnect from its voice. It worried Stellan. Perhaps it had grown further into the other entrance. Then there would truly be troubled if the night god had finally found him. Stealing wouldn't be the only charge that they'd put him in for. Why did you grow silent? The golem seemed to stay silent until it started to sit up off the floor and stared towards the door, meeting Stellan's eyes. Some people just came in... Or, or rather, Balin, a merchant caravan, I think, along with some kind of metal contraption. This somewhat relaxed him. If they came from the top, he could just say that he was an adventurer, claiming the dungeon for himself and his family. He was at least allowed to do that until a certain floor limit hit. Then again, with how he had planned to increase the maximum mana the dungeon had artificially, others would certainly ask questions. But he was able to perform it fast enough it would certainly be possible to finish his plan within the next two months. You know what? That's fine. That's absolutely fine. We can probably just, uh... And some others came in from the first entrance. The most absolute worst case thrust itself into his mind. The Night Guild meeting merchants. God damn it! End of chapter. The algorithm reckons you should be watching this video next, and I recommend that you should be always watching my video. So, click and click with energy! And yes, clicking that does help the channel. Thank you very much. I'd just like to give a quick thanks to T5 channel members and patrons. Alithia, Parky, Feudic Yol, Meridian117, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Angry Marine, Lord Azrakal, and White Van 420 